And it's Steve Tasker who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. I'm a little. Steve. A blimp? <laughs> We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy here. Welcome to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker in for you this week. You're, you are relegated to my hosting the show as Chris Brown's going to be out for the week. I think a staycation is, is in order for him and the fam. And um, I'm pleased to be joined today uh, with a good friend of the show, Josh Reed. Josh, thanks for coming in. Man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Always good seeing All, you. Always stuff. We, you know, we always refer to this as the dark – well, as you see a picture of the stadium there, it just couldn't be any brighter. But this is always kind of the dark time in the NFL – we went, Jay Harris and I walked through the the administration building here, and because they have coffee upstairs, you know. So, and only this last you know few months has everything been completely opened back up since the pandemic and all that. So we go walking up there, we look back down towards the wing of the building that's the coaching, and it, the lights are out. the The hallway's dark. It looks like a cave. Everybody's gone. Yeah, that doesn't happen often. No. Not in NFL buildings. But only at this time of year. And yeah. every every team is the exact same and, way. And, and the sports media kind of follows that. Everybody yeah. jams their vacation into yeah. this little little window. Which, hence why we were off all last week and, and the half the week last week. And we've still – Brownie and I still have scattered days off all the way through training camp. Yeah, you got to get them up. in because yeah, once, yeah. Fisher's coming up. And once that happens, guess what? Yes, that's right. We come up for air That's in right. March, hopefully, That's right? That's right. Um, you shift gears, and you don't let your foot off the gas. Yep. It's, like, it's like F1. If there's it's a, fun, if though. If there's a hint of hesitation, you're lost. There are long days, but that season, it, it's crazy because you get end up – there are, like I said, long days, but you get to week 15, week 16, all of a sudden you go, where – Where'd, Where'd the go? season go? Yeah, it t- it's tumbling downhill is what happens when you, get, you, you tee off on week one. <laughs> And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's week 10. Oh, my gosh, it's, yeah. it's Thanksgiving. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Especially when the season's going well. Because when I been, first got here, were Rex's first two years. Right. And th- some of the, those couple of seasons there, those were Eventful, longer Eventful, but since not Sean, too productive. Yeah, since Sean and Brandon got here, the season seemed to go you by think much about quicker. This, and I was thinking about this because I was, I was, I've been in this building in one a shape, way, shape, or form since 1986. So I've been in and around the team for that long. And – Seriously, it's been since Super Bowl, since the regular season of 1991, since the team had the kind of expectations attached to it that this team does this year. Uh, the Bills were coming off Super Bowl 25, where they lost wide right, and they were coming back the second, and it was a no free agency at that time. They it, they were rolling, and everybody was mad. It's like, oh, we just met. Here we go. It was that kind of expectation. It was Super Bowl or nothing in that season. That's what it is this year for the Buffalo Bills, and it's. And people are like, wow, I don't know. I don't like the sound of that. It's like you're putting a hex on us. You know, all the superstitious stuff here. But let me tell you something. You earn that stuff. It's true. They don't just bestow that upon you for no reason. Uh, The Bills are there for a reason. And uh, Josh is a big part of it. Sean McDermott's a big part of it. Brandon Bean's a big part of it. Von Miller's a big part of it. Steph, Gabriel Davis, Von Miller. They have stars. They are. They have stars at at the major positions now. They are. They're interesting beyond belief, and it's uh, it's for good reason. And so here we are in this dark part of the thing, and you think, well, what are we going to talk about this week? And listen, Lamar Jackson just stripped it, changed his Twitter account handle. Now he's saying, I want money. Uh, after being silent, not and just like he honestly poo-pooed the idea of this contract. And this is a former MVP quarterback, and he's just been dra- – it's like he's been dragging his feet, right? Yeah, I mean – 
and the thing is, is that that's an interesting franchise because the Ravens seem to do it the right way most of the time. Harbaugh's been there forever, it seems. They just seem to do things, even going back to when Ozzie Newsom was kind of running the show in the front office there. They just always seem to do things the right way. But this Lamar Jackson yeah. situation is very yeah. interesting. He changed, his, he changed his Twitter banner, not his handle, but his Twitter banner. And it says, I need dollar sign. It's on a set of te- gold teeth. From somebody, it's not Lamar, I don't think, but somebody's teeth that says, I need money. Well, I could have platinum teeth if he had money, right? I mean, he's he's relegated to gold teeth, I guess. So he, for those of you who don't know, Lamar Jackson is is, uh, represented by himself and his mom. Okay, so, all right, fine. So you you don't want to pay your agent 3% of a 35 or 40 or 30. $35 $35 million a year or $50 million a year, whatever it's going to be, you don't want to pay him 3% of that. Does that strike you as a nickel and dime thing? If you're going to nickel and dime, you, you want to save up that 3% on the chances that you don't have to pay anybody. Are you going to nickel and dime the Baltimore Ravens too over the contract? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I don't know the specifics of his mom's background. If she is versed in something like this, absolutely. But – if it's just she's representing she's, she's, you, she could be. She could be a lawyer, right? If she is, then that's a little different. I haven't heard that. But, but if she's not, then yeah, I mean, you, you, that's something you want to spend extra money on. You don't want to be cutting corners on, on an attorney that's going to <laughs> and an agent that's going to represent you, and millions and millions of dollars are going to be on the line. You, you, yeah, that's a, that's an investment you're going to want to make. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of uh, – I'm with you on that. I, I think that's – and he is one of the few guys uh, playing in the league who has been an MVP. Uh, last year he was marred by injury. He was playing well before he got injured. And what can you say? I is mean, he that he got, guy, though? Has the league started to catch up to him? Well, because, you can say that about a lot of things. And certainly here's the thing. You have to be able to win more than one way, no question about it. Offensively and defensively. You can't just be a blitz, 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 blitz team and think you're going to win that way because teams will have an answer. You can't just be a run, 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 run offense because teams will stop that and have an answer. There's no magic elixir. Uh, even as a, as a big-name quarterback, you're, you, know, you solve a lot of problems, but whatever your strengths or weaknesses are, whether it's be you or the people around you, teams get a handle on it. Um, you have to win more than one way in the league. And, and you know, people are still questioning whether Lamar can beat you from the pocket. Because ultimately... And that's a good NFL, question. It's a fair yeah. question. And he hasn't had a chance, like last year, he didn't have a chance to show that he had grown in that respect. Uh, certainly when he got into the playoffs against the Buffalo Bills in this building, they scored three points against him. Um, that ain't enough. And the Bills have that defense that's unspectacular, but yet number one. Yeah. I mean, they're... They're tough to beat. So Lamar Jackson has some things to prove in the league, even though he's a def- you know has been a, a recently an MVP. And they haven't done a great job at surrounding him with weapons either. Now in the backfield, that's a little different because they they usually find some running backs, and and if that's their game plan and how they want to win, and it seems like it is. They haven't exactly gone out and surrounded him with a Steph Diggs. That may be, you know, a stud wideout. That may be the acid test. 
Because in free agency, I don't, if I'm Steph Diggs, I don't want to go to Baltimore and run block. No. no. You know? Now, I don't think any so of those top-notch wide they receivers They may draft some guys, but they're going to have to be the right guys. And, you know, quite frankly, if you need guys to make Lamar better in the passing game, you've got to prove to them you're going to throw it more than you run it, a lot more than you run it. And and I don't know if I believe that. Yeah, you I'm can't invest. The, the amount of money the wide receivers are making now, you can't invest in the top seven, eight wide out that kind of money, yeah. and then and then run the ball 40 times. Right. Yeah, exactly. Steve Tasker and Josh Reed here on One Bills Live. We're going to be with you until 3 o'clock. We've got a ton of stuff going on. Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports is coming on with us later in the show to talk about all things. Um, we also have news and notes from around the league. And also we're going to leave this question with you. Who's the most overlooked player on the Bills roster? We kind of got a double question today. Who's the most overlooked player on the Bills roster? You tell us why. And also, <laughs> this happened to you. When you're on vacation, he was out, and you were driving by a a, a, a basketball, a basketball court, court yeah. and you heard something. What was it? Yeah, so there were some kids playing. The age range was probably around 10, 12 years old. And he, the, I, the one kid goes right before the game starts, I, I'm Steph Curry. And the other kid goes, I'm Jason Tatum. And then the kids just start rattling Name off NBA players, you know, the stars' names, LeBron and Giannis. And uh, and it took me back to being a kid. You remember when you're playing in the playground and everybody immediately goes, oh, you know. And it, for me, growing up in Northeast Ohio, it was Mark Price. Anytime it was basketball, right. it was, oh, I wanted to be Mark Price. And, you know, it's just kind of then you think that you are them. You know, you not that it made it any right, – I was right. not Mark Price by any means, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But, yeah, it kind of took me back to being a kid again. And, and it was funny. I put it up on Twitter, and I had a lot of Buffalo sports fans – you know, kind of respond to it. And Ryan Miller's name came up an awful lot. Tug, not yeah. not surprising either. Yeah, when I was a kid, it was guys like, um, for me in football, I grew up in, in Kansas. So, you know, Kansas City Chiefs were big. So I was a big Otis Taylor fan, uh, Ed Podolak. Those kind of guys um, were the guys that I wanted to, you know, thought of Lenny Dawson. Yeah. That's how old I am. You know, see, Lenny right? Dawson grew up in my hometown. Right. He's in, an Alliance, Ohio that's guy. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I actually, That's right. he my was a first Purdue job grad. ever was a waiter at his restaurant. Dawson's, it was called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're so old. Yeah, so right. So old, yeah. So, that's, so you can do that. If you want to chime in, you can call us at 803-0550, which is the most overlooked player on, on the Bills roster, or who is that guy that you wanted to, that you called yourself when you were playing as a kid in the driveway? Also, uh, we're getting close, too. As we're, all, we're all sitting here just like, Tapping our foot, looking you know, looking at the watch, waiting for Bill's training camp to open on the July twenty fourth is when they report that Monday, July twenty fifth, they're going to take the field, uh, and the team's going to start. July uh, St. John Fisher, uh, be there or be square. July twenty fifth is when the first practice is. Uh, all of that's going on. You look back at what we have gone through. Our buddy Chris Brown, who's not with us today, he's on vacation, but uh, he did a nice little article uh, on, on the website about the six. They have half a dozen things that the Bills really got right in the offseason. They really got it right. And it starts with where you might expect Josh Allen. What do you think? I mean, at the end of last year, and we saw, you've seen the clips on the sideline of Josh talking to the guys, you know, and see, you, we've seen him develop. Um, it's his team. I'm, I am amazed at how he handles stardom. Yeah. Because he's a star. He's I'm not just. I'm not He's just a star. superstar. He's not a star in Buffalo. He is a star when across the country. When you're in a match 
with Rodgers, Brady, Mahomes, and you're and you're in the fourth or the third or the second or whatever, yeah, you're a superstar. It, it was incredible. You know, the the Bills hosted a, a media golf outing and everything, and 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 Josh was in the foursome with me. I got lucky, got a chance to play with him. It was unbelievable. There were people in carts that were didn't have golf clubs on their carts. They were drive by just to see him, just to see him on a golf course, just drive by. Just a couple of them would stop and ask for pictures. He took a picture with every last fan that asked, every single one. And I'm telling you, in 18 holes, there must have been 20 people that stopped and asked, maybe 30. There was a, we, we, we got to maybe the next to last hole. There was a guy standing in the bushes along, along yeah, the, right. he was he had a jersey out and he was ready to ask him to sign it. Um, it is amazing in how he handles it because it's a lot, and it's a lot, and he does it yeah. the right way. It's hard for Josh to stick his head out his front door. I mean, certainly going for gas is a big experience. You know, it's it's an expedition for him. He may not get out of there. You know, can you imagine pulling up, getting gas, and you look over and there's. Yeah. Josh Allen standing there next to you pumping his, you know, going to this. He can't go to the supermarket. Are you kidding me? Right? So it, it's different life. But he handles it. He handles it fantastically. I, obviously, I've rubbed up, a, you know, I've done a bunch of stuff with him, and uh, we're real friendly. But the, it's, it's, it, it's reminiscent of Jim Kelly when he first came to town. Uh, Josh, the way that Josh splashed onto the scene was a little more crescendoed, started small and grew. And Jim started at full volume because of the way things happened back then. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. Both of them were superstars. Both of them were great players. Yeah, but Jim was a star coming into the league, yes, right? That's right? Josh was very that's qu- right. there were a lot of questions. That's right. And he was drafted that's really right. high. That's why he was a crescendo. Started but, small. Yeah, you know what I mean? And he grew, he's, he's earned it. Yeah. Jim came in. And you it was go just to the U. Stamped on and you go to the U. And Let's the USFL, and you throw for 50 touchdowns in the pros. And You're you come, a star before you get here. You got people hanging off the overpass when you land in the air. <laughs> and I said this when Jim went in the Hall of Fame. Nobody arrived to an NFL team with higher expectations and more fanfare than Jim Kelly. And Jim, bless his heart, could not have come through in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Or you can say what you want about winning a Super Bowl instead of going to four straight, but he still had a stretch like no other quarterback has had in the NFL in history. So, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, for goodness sake. So, you know, try and come through like that. Not too many guys can, particularly with the fanfare that was attached to him. Mm-hmm. Josh is there now, but let's face he's going into year five. So, same level now, but they got there in two different ways. And Josh uh, has earned every bit of his. And Jim certainly earned his after he got here and lived up to it. But, man, both those guys, it's a different life. You, you witnessed it. You, even I witness it, too, when we do car commercials. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could go on and on about sure. know, how it's different when he's on the set rather than it's just yeah. m- little jamoke me, right? So <laughs> everything changes. So it's pretty funny. But it's right. But that's one of the things we're talking about this, this article about Chris Brown and what, some of the six things that the, the Bills got right in the offseason another one after the leadership and and the step forward that josh has taken another one was the big roster difference and where it starts is really with the defensive line um hallmarked and and key yeah marqueed by von miller signing as a buffalo bill and then also with 
you know, Jordan Phillips coming back, Shaq Lawson coming back, Boogie Basham and Greg Rousseau coming back and looking like two different guys. And then, oh, yeah, and there's, you know. Daquan Jones. Daquan Jones. And I'm telling you, Von Miller, I, I can't believe the Bills got him. And I, and I said this a bunch on the show. Guys have said, hey, can you get me a, a Miller jersey? And I'm like, <laughs> Miller? Who the, who's Miller? And I, I keep forgetting. Oh, Von Miller is on the Bills. I, it's unbelievable to me that that happened. And it happened, and you, you were talking. Like nine things happened in the NFL on that week, and Von Miller was one of them. So it's hard to even keep it on your radar. But every time I think about it, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was talking to a buddy of mine, a Ravens fan. And he said, what did the, what did the Bills really do this offseason? He didn't follow them. I said, well, I mean, they added Von Miller, a guy who's got plenty left in the tank that's going to be in Canton, Ohio. Right. And he went, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot they have him now. Totally under the radar. So, <laughs> I feel like superstar. it happened forever ago now, too. I, I know, right? And then, like you said, I feel like there were two or three other big names that signed right around there. So he was one of them. But, you know, it, it, as the NFL yeah. wheel turns, they go on to the next, the right. next step immediately. Yeah, and so, you know, that – that's a big difference, and I think the Bills did get right. They, their defensive line was not substandard last year, but it, like I said, and, I, and I've said it all offseason, their defense was awesome but unspectacular. You know, they didn't get 9,000 sacks. They were in the top 10 in sacks. But they were number one defense in four or five key categories. They were tough, but they were unspectacular. Not a ton of turnovers, not these big sack at a timely moment. It was not a – you know, a tipped pass interception, you know. Um, that was not the hallmark of their defense. Their defense was just tough to move the ball on. And they make you, they make you do they, it 12 yeah. play drives. Right. They don't you let you be. you got to go the long way. You, yeah, yeah, you're right. You got to go the long way. There are no short you know, one, of the, one of the things that I found interesting that, that Brandon Bean, one of his comments this offseason that still sticks with me, he was asked a lot about the possibility of adding a defensive back, whether it was free agency or the draft, and this was before both of those happened. And then it all kind of settled down and everything, and everybody went, oh, you really didn't add anybody in the secondary. This is after free agency. And he said, we feel like if we helped our up front, they would trickle down. And we get get more pressure on the quarterback that helps the secondary. And that just really stuck with me because – that's kind of the way they did it. There, there's a couple different ways to solve the problem. We've talked about the debate that analytics people have started having between coverage and pass rush. And analytics people say now that coverage is way more important than having a dynamic pass rush because even if you have a dynamic pass rush, the guy steps out of trouble, extends the play, and your pass rush is then relegated to chasing the guy around. And the secondary is under intense pressure. But if you've got a secondary that's up to it, that negates the guy's ability to throw the football even after he breaks contain. So, um, but like you said as well, when you got a secondary that's at the level that the Bills have, give them a pass rush too, and then all of a sudden, I think that's – you have to look at both things, no question. I mean, both things are complementary. But I think you're right. I think this is a secondary that would benefit from just maybe a – Two-tenths of a second. Yep. You know and what I mean? That, and that's probably a Von Miller trickle-down effect. Right. Third thing, too, is uh, one of the most talked about newcomers, but aside from Von Miller, which really, I think James Cook has been talked about more than Von Miller just because of what we said. He's kind of 
it happened so fast, mm-hmm. and everybody went on to the next thing so fast. The draft really grabs everybody's attention. James Cook was really the one intriguing guy now because a lot of people, I think, just mentally checked off that Kair Elam's going to get plugged in and he's going to be CB2, and there, here we go. Uh, James Cook is a different cat. Um, his skill set is different. Uh, he's a little bit more, even so, more so than, than LaShawn McCoy was. Uh, McCoy was a dynamic player, a really good player, maybe uh, on the cusp of being a Hall of Fame caliber player over the course of his career. But James Cook's got a, a skill set that I think translates extremely well into what the NFL is today. And I think he has – I think when the Bills – you talk about what the Bills added to an offense, that guy right there, James Cook, might be a piece that – that maybe puts them over the top. You know, they say certain guys just look different. He he was a guy that watching them in OTAs in mini camps, he just looked a little different. He's quicker. He's just he's got a he's got another level that he can get to, speed wise, an explosiveness that you go, well, that's well, that looks a little different. I don't want to say anything. I mean, he's a second round pick, but when you get it that high of the draft, when you drop from the second round of the third round, when you got Zach Moss and Devin Singletary picked in the third round, and nobody takes running backs in the first round unless they're something different, and that means running the football like size and all that. Guys like James Cook, their physical traits boost them up. Forget about their – if James Cook had the same traits and was smaller and slower, he would have been a fourth rounder. But because he's bigger and faster, now he's up into the, into the second round and maybe pushing for the first round in some people. So that's why he's different. And you can – even casual fans will look at them and say, wow, that guy's a different kind of athlete than what they've had before. It's going to be interesting to see what Dorsey does with him in that system. Right. A new, obviously new offensive coordinator and a new piece to the puzzle. It's right. going to be really, it really is. intriguing. And you, and you talk about, too, some of the other things, these other things that the Bills got right during this last offseason. One of the, the fourth thing that Brownie has in his, in his uh, article is um, a comment about Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham. Two guys, you and I both, you said Greg Rousseau looks like a different cat, and I said Boogie Basham does. Both these guys are physically different than they were 12 months ago. They look like they shed the baby weight, yeah. right? It just, that's kind of, with, yeah, they went for from lack a, of a they better. They went from being a. 12-year-old kid to a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just – yeah. It, you know what I mean when I say yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it just – you look at him and you go, that looks like an eight-year vet now. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and it's, it is pretty amazing. And you talk to these guys after year one going into year two, and most of them say it's a nutrition thing. Most of them say they, they get their own cook. You know, they, they, they kind of figure out the right way what they need to do eating – you know, working out and stuff, and I don't know, but those two figured it out. And man, yeah. I need to find out what plan they're um, on because part of this, and a part of this is the program they're in, uh, and how you get into the a bunch of. There's a bunch. It's complicated, no question. There's a lot of layers to this, and but all a couple of them are this. They don't pick guys that aren't committed. So the Bills grab guys like Greg Russo, uh, Greg Russo and Boogie Basham. They get them in, not because and because they're great players, because they're gifted physically, because they have some college production, because they came from good schools, because they played at a high level of competition. All of that gets them an interview. And when they get into that interview, those guys try and dissect what their psyche is because they know that one of the hallmarks of this program is, and one of the reasons it is that, 
is when a guy comes in the door two or three years down the road, he's way better. And that's been one of the hallmarks and one of the reasons the Bills have gotten to be this juggernaut of a team that says this is the team you're going to pick to win the Super Bowl. Because every guy that walks in the door plays better week after week after week after week and certainly year after year and year over year. They're better and better and better because the coaching staff works on them and they got in the door because they're that kind of guy. And the roster's better now, so guess what? If you're not good and you're not pushing yourself to be better, you won't play. Right. They don't have to play you anymore. They just don't. They have so much talent on the roster that, guess what? It's, if you're yeah. a second-round pick, and I'm not saying that a second-round pick year two is going to be – look, here's a great example. A.J. Epinesa was a pretty high draft pick. A.J. Epinesa better, better put, some, put some stuff on film this in, preseason because – He was inactive his rookie year. There's a, was Boogie. There's a lot of talent on that defensive line. These guys yes. – they, they, the roster is really right. talented now. And here's the thing, too. Um, because they're that kind of guy, because Greg Rousseau has this appetite to be better, and Boogie Basham, obviously, they've proven it. I mean, you go out there and look at them, you just can't deny it. They've got – it's important to them. They want to get on the field. They don't want to be a healthy scratch this, this offseason. This, you know, they don't want to be one of the de- inactives. And, and Boogie certainly was that last year. And – Last year it was Jerry Hughes and a guy who played double, double digits in the league. He's a 10-year, 11-year guy. And now Vaughn Miller's in the room. They're in that guy's hip pocket saying, how do I, how do, I do what you did? How would you do that? I want to learn that. Um, being open to that and, being, and asking the right questions and watching and learning and being humble enough to say, man, that guy's got it and I don't. I want to get it. Yeah, and they went to that, that pass rushers academy. And that's, that's big. That's huge. Those are big. Um, so I think those two guys are indicative of why this club has been so good. Guys like Matt Milano, fifth-round draft pick. Taron. Taron Johnson, who's maybe as good a slot corner as there is in the league. Uh, Dane Jackson, who was, oh, now he's, he played CB1 since Thanksgiving last year on a number one defense. Levi Wallace developed. Levi Wallace. Enough that the Steelers, a, an organization that seems to figure things out most of the time, wanted him. Yeah. Right? All of these guys that – when they came in, one of the first things that Sean McDermott did, they signed Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier. And back then, we're all like going, you signed who? Looking back, that Micah Hyde signing, I honestly believe as we sit here today, that is really – what swung the pendulum? Yeah. I really do. He, he well, I don't think I don't think we truly can gauge what he means inside that locker room, or what he means yeah. to that roster. He's incredibly committed, incredibly intelligent, great communicator. He's humble. He's a winner. And guys, guys want to be like they want to play for him. They want to play with him. They want to be on his team. They want to learn from him. Um, that's everything you can possibly get. Guys like Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham come in and they rub up against Micah Hyde and they watch him and see him and hear him talk to his teammates. Uh, all of that stuff goes into the. Mix. Oh yeah, and then there's this play. And this play, yeah, we're so. watching the, the the first series for the Patriots in the wild card playoff round, uh, where Micah comes from nowhere and picks that ball off. I was standing over there, and I saw the play happen, and it happened so fast, and he closed that so fast. I thought, oh, man, they've got him. He's going to catch that. No. I, I go, oh, my gosh. He, <laughs> he it was it incredible. It was, one of the, it was one of the greatest was, plays I've seen in person. 
that play was every bit as good as Taron Johnson's 101-yard mm-hmm. pick six. Yep. Uh, both of them were just as important as well. Uh, if Mac Jones completes that ball for a touchdown, it's 7-7, and it might have been a little bit of a different game. Although, that play, I mean, let's face it, the Bills absolutely were perfect offensively in that game. They were just That game was not going to go any other direction. But that play just snuffed, snuffed. All hope. All emotional content the Patriots brought with them. Yep. All they had, hope. They Their put hope together was gone. That first, I've gone, I've watched it. I go back and watch these old games. Oh, I say old games, they're eight months old. I watch it, and, I, and I, I remember the emotion and the things that happened during those games. And they strung together. They had like two huge conversions on their first drive, trying to hang in there with a Bills team that went down. Josh, you know, dink, threw, the, threw the ball away at the back of the end zone. No, Dawson Knox shows up, gets it, 7 nothing. So they kind of struggle and they strive and it's a long drive and they, they kind of go for it at that point and it gets picked off. And it, you feel like they had it, everything, it went as good as it could have gone for them in that first drive. And they were like, yeah, Ooh, no man. points. We get nothing. And here we go again. And they go back, score again. So, yeah, all of that stuff going on. That play was a quintessential play for that team. Uh, and that's why Micah Hyde and, and the example he sets and all the stuff and guys like Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, and the guys they bring in have to be of a right mentality and personality so that they will get better. Mm-hmm. You, we give so much credit to the coaches, and they deserve a ton of it and the atmosphere and the culture. But getting better is ultimately on the guy who wears the helmet. It's got to be in your DNA. It's got to be it's in not in, If it's not in there, it's, no one's going to be able to get it That's out. Right. Steve Tasker, Josh Reed in for you. We're going to be here till 3. We're going to take a break. One Bill's live from One Bill's Drive. Uh, we're going to come back. Chris, Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports coming up at the top of the hour. We've got more right after this. This is One Bill's Live and Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Josh Reed in for Chris Brown this week. And uh, we're talking a little bit about a, a, a article that my buddy, our buddy, Chris Brown, wrote on the website. Six things that the Bills got right in this offseason. First one was Josh Allen becoming the leader, the kind of centerpiece. It's his team now um, kind of entering that elite status. Then it was the defensive line changes, Von Miller and all the new guys they brought in, beefing up the front. Um, also, James Cook being really the most talked about newcomer uh, and the guys who changed their bodies up on the defensive line, uh, Boogie Basham, Greg Rousseau, and the commitment they've shown about getting on the field and making con- contribution. And then we had some, another one. The la- next one, Josh, is two most encouraging player forecasts. One, obviously, Gabriel Davis, who every, nobody can stop talking about the game he had to finish the season, the four-touchdown game in Kansas City. Uh, where the Bills go down score and he gets his fourth touchdown to you know put him up with you know seconds left and ultimately didn't win the game but what a performance Gabe had and then of course Ed Oliver uh, coming in and with the with the beefed up defensive line everybody looking for him to take an enormous step forward uh, these the most encouraging player forecast Gabe Davis Ed Oliver what do you think about those two players and obviously. Gabe Davis looking to take a ton more snaps this year than he ever has. Yeah, the the wide receiver room looks a lot different going in going into this season. Obviously, Cole Beasley's gone, Emmanuel Sanders is gone. 
you know what you have in the A1 guy, right? Stephon Diggs, yeah. you know, so you, you just kind of move on from there. You know what that is. Right. You, go, you go right to Gabe Davis because at least the Bills are planning on him to be that, that number two guy now. And I mean, from what we've seen, there's no reason to think that he can't be that guy. And, and they have enough weapons that Josh isn't going to have to force feed him the ball. Just like he right. doesn't with Steph Diggs. He doesn't force feed him the ball. Now, there are times that you can tell that Josh thinks, I need to get him in a rhythm early in a game, and he'll make sure that he gets his touches early. But Gabriel Davis, I, I think he has a chance to have a very good season. Now, I see some of the projections of, oh, you know, 1,200 yards, maybe 10 touchdowns. I'm like, yeah, hey, I don't know. I don't know about that because I think they've right. got enough playmakers all throughout the offense. I mean, you, you, st- you know, Dawson Knox, I still football. think there's a little bit left to squeeze out of Dawson Knox. So he's going he's gonna to make some plays in that offense too. Um, but, yeah, Gabriel Davis, and any time, and I'm not even talking about just after this Chiefs game, you go back and listen to any time Josh Allen was asked about Gabriel Davis, and even going back to Brian Dable when he was asked about Gabriel Davis, and it was always talked. They talked off the charts about him and his ability to learn and know the playbook and be be able to step into different roles. And you know, it's it's his time to shine now. He's gonna get he's gonna get uh, his opportunity. Yeah, he is, and he's and that's the thing too. He's just gonna get more opportunities. He's the fourth wide receiver last year, and uh, and burst onto the scene and at the end of the season where it was him instead of Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, they he was on the field and. That says a lot about his development, about where he's at. And I, I go back to this all the time, 2020, his rookie season. Um, he caught the first pass of the season that was a completion from Josh as a rookie in his first game. Uh, just one of those guys that instills confidence in He you. trusts him. Josh trusts uh, Josh him. Josh trusts him, and, and I think most fans do as well. I mean, and I'm like you. I'm not going to over – I don't care about 1,200 yards, 110K. That's not my thing. What I'm more concerned about is – um, just having an offense that's got enough weapons that you can keep up with anybody on any given day. James Cook's in the mix. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a, a new package of plays where he's split out and he's the number one thing. And this is gonna be up to Ken Dorsey as well. Don't forget Steph Diggs. With I think he averaged like eight targets a game, which is a pretty good number. And sometimes he had like more than that. Um, targets are the thing, so you're not gonna take targets away from Steph Diggs, and Gabe Davis is going to get all of Emmanuel Sanders' targets. Jamison Crowder is going to get Cole Beasley's targets. Um, Isaiah McKenzie, I mean, whose targets is he going to get? You know, um, you you got some questions you got to answer. O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard and Dawson Knox. Uh, So there's all this stuff. They've got a lot of guys. um, And here's the thing, too. And and it's a great locker room. You know that. Everybody knows that. They're notoriously – they all like each other. And it's easy to do that when you have maybe if you have three targets a game and you get two catches and you get like six touchdowns on the year or whatever, it's great. Nobody cares if you're winning. Hey, ask Shaq Lawson if you're and winning. Jordan Phillips how good that locker room is. Right. 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 And when you're winning they games. They were gone a couple of years, and guess what? Like when a boomerang. Games, when you're winning games, all everybody wants, everybody wants is just a chance to contribute. Yep. Just give me a chance to contribute. But if we're winning, that's fine. Yeah. So – you're kind of getting to the point where it's going to be like there's one football, it's going to be up to Josh, and we'll see how it goes. But certainly, 
those two guys, Gabe Davis and, and, and Ed Oliver as well. People are waiting on Ed Oliver. And you're just like, is Ed Oliver going to be one of those guys that makes the guys around him better, or is he going to need guys around him to make him better? You, you, you said that's that earlier. That's the question. I think that's the question. We, we've been waiting on Ed Oliver, and he has shown some flashes. And with the upgrade and the guys around him, this is, this is a big, big, big year for Ed Oliver, I think. Yeah, and I think he's got a chance statistically to put up huge numbers. And we all know that that contract is, is coming around the corner in, in defensive tackles that can pressure the quarterback. They get paid a lot of money. So it's, it's going to be an interesting situation that he's going to put the Bills in, possibly. I think the Bills would go, would go hey, fine. Have 12 sacks. We'll figure out the rest of it later. Right. Who cares? That's right? right. Yeah, who cares? Go That's have the right. best season of any defensive tackle that we've seen in the last 10 years. But, look, I think Ed Oliver showed enough last season where you go, okay, he took that next step. Now right. it's a matter of taking another step. And I, I think having guys next to him, on the out, whether it's on the outside of him with Vaughn Miller or next to him with Daquan Jones, you know, a big guy that can eat up some space – I think that's really going to help Ed Oliver. I think you're right. Before we get to the last thing on this uh, superlatives that the Bills got right in the offseason, let's go over and, and let's take a phone call. We've got Judy in Buffalo. Judy, uh, you're on the air with Steve and Josh. Judy, what do you got for us? Uh, you know, I'm intrigued with Tommy Doyle. I want to know um, what the future holds for him. He seemed to be very effective at the end of the year. Is he simply a backup line lineman? Uh, used, you know, when they need short yardage. Uh, what, what do they have in? What do you think they have in mind for him? Because I'm impressed with him. Yeah, here's the thing, Judy, and and thanks for the call. I, I think it's a great question. I think one of the things you got to know too is, I don't know what they're. Pl- I think they want him to be a starting offensive lineman if that's his thing. I, they want him to be on the field. Now, he has athleticism to go out and do the stuff you talked about, be a sixth offensive lineman, which means also he's an eligible receiver. You know what I'm saying? He's not just a guy that's going out there to stand around. Um, he, he did catch, he caught a touchdown this yeah. last year. Yep. So he's got some athleticism, but he, if, if you're intrigued with him, so are the Bills. But he's got to be one of the guys we've been talking about who gets better. Because if you got to get on the, if you want to play better, if you want to play more, you got to play better. And it's a it's a deep room on the offensive line. Brandon has done a great job of building depth across this roster. It's incredible. There are going to be guys. This is this is when you started to see the the difference in talent over the last couple of years. There's going to be a few guys that get cut off of this roster. Then they're going to get swallowed up on a, by another organization. It's going to start some games. Yeah, and, you th- and that's, that's a good right. thing. Tommy Doyle could be one of those guys. Yeah, you got. And I said this before, and I've you know you heard it over the years. Back in the early '90s, when that team was going to the Super Bowl all the time, they'd cut guys who went on to have great careers. They went on to play have long, you know eight or ten year careers for other teams, but they couldn't make that roster. This is one of those. Yep. This is one of those rosters. You can What are you going to do? Beat Von Miller out. You know, the, the no, you're going to sit there and watch him play. Somebody good is going to get cut from when, that defensive line. When Von Miller needs a break, you can go in for a play, and then you got to come back out. I mean, that's how it's going to be. Um, Tommy Doyle's in that same boat. You got Spencer Brown over there. You got Kessenberry from the yep. from the uh, Titans. Kessenberry was the starting right tackle for the number one seed in the playoffs last year in the AFC. That, that runs the ball. That ran the football. That runs the football. And the Bills want to run it better. Yes, they do. Same same thing with Saffold. Roger Saffold. He was on that offensive line. They were the number one seed in Tennessee last year, and they ran the ball. 
Tommy Doyle's got to get ahead of those guys somehow. That's that's what you're looking at. It's a t- it's a hard group to rise above. He's got youth on his side though, certainly, which is good because and he's in the system. Yeah, he knows the that. system and he's young. All right, yeah, that's to be a, young again. That's that's interesting. And thanks for the call, Judy. That's it's an interesting question, but that's what you're up against. You just got to beat better guys out, and you got to get better yourself. This, let's take one more call before we go. Tim from North Tonawanda, you're you're talking about you're asking about players being similar to the '90s. What's on your mind, Tim? Yeah, I've you know watched you guys over the years, and uh, I equate a lot of players to similarities. Davis reminded me of when James Lofton come in here and finished up, you know, the offense, the last piece for it. But when you guys draft James Cook, he reminds me of young Barry Sanders. I watched him in both of those guys in college, and they are very similar. Just like to hear your opinion on it. I don't know. I don't. I got to be honest with you. I don't see the Barry Sanders. Because James Cook is more of a, a – I mean, Barry Sanders was a lineup behind the quarterback guy handed to him, and, and James Cook is more of a guy that, like, you put him in the slot, you split him out wide, and you put him out into the routes. I see him – I see James Cook as more as a receiving threat than I did Barry Sanders as a guy you could hand the ball off to 35, 35 times. times a game. Yeah. I mean, what do you see? Oh, Tim's gone, but that's what I saw. I, th- I think that's different. Uh, now – I, I, when you run the ball, when he runs the ball, yeah, he can do some stuff. But don't, don't kid yourself. There's, to me, there's only one Barry Sanders. He was one of a kind. And James Cook could be one of a kind as well. But I don't know if I see the similarities as much as you do. He could be one of a kind just in a different role. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, think, I don't think we'll ever see Cook, James Cook run the ball 35 times, ever. No, well, I don't know. Nobody's going to do that. It, even, it really doesn't you know, happen anymore. Yeah, even, you know, Derrick Henry, you might get a, a shot at guys. it. A couple of guys. Nick Chubb. Yeah, but a couple I don't, of guys. But that's an anomaly in the yeah. league, in this league. But James Lofton, I tell you what, if Gabe Davis is 80% of James Lofton, sign me James up. James Lofton's a Hall of Famer. Right, right? 80%. In, yeah, so, okay, yeah. I mean, I get that. But I, they're different kind of players as well. Uh, yeah, just before we go, before we wrap this up, you know, and then this superlatives we were talking about, about the Bills getting it wrong. One thing, and I wanted to bring it up just before we go to break here, um, the thing that the Bills also got right in the, in the offseason was the way they handled the east side shooting. Uh, this organization, along with the Sabres and the entire community, jumped on board with what was going on over on Jefferson Avenue and, and were symbolic, I think, uh, if not, you know, hands-on and get some tangible stuff done and helped in tangible ways, no question, but also it served as a symbol of where everybody's heart was. And I think it was a great example of how much Buffalo people love Buffalo people and how much they're willing to reach out and help each other. Uh, the Bills were a part of that. It's one of the things that happened. That, that It was a tragic and horrific uh, event that happened in the off season here in Buffalo, and nobody shied away from addressing it or being a part of part of it and getting on the right side of it. And I think the Bills did get get that right. So did PSE and so did the Sabres and so did a ton of other ministries and people who just wanted to be a part of it. Churches around the region, families, individuals, people, all kinds of people just showing up, just wanting to help. And I thought, uh, you know, the Bills might have been a little symbolic of that because they're an organization people know about, but certainly they weren't the only ones at all. And and uh, and I, I, was, I was proud of the way the organization came in, the way Bruce came back and and all, all the other the old guys came in uh, and uh, took part in what in the aftermath of what happened uh, on Jefferson Avenue at the tops, and 
I was I was thankful for the team and, and grateful for what they did and how they stepped up to that in that situation. Yeah, that's well said. And to me, the thing that really stood out was they were at the forefront of it too. Like they, they wanted to be, hey, they wanted to be out there and they right. wanted to make sure that people saw that they were here for that community. And I, I thought that that was – it, there was no sitting around waiting to see how yeah. they could help. They went out and said, this is what we're going to do to help. Right. A criminal came in from the out, outside the city, came in and, and scouted it out and went to a place where he thought he could hurt the most people who didn't look like him. And that's and it as it's insanity at its height. And uh, uh, yeah, and it was tragic and horrific and uh, premeditated and all of that. So I'm um, really um, happy and pleased with. And I, and I hope it doesn't stop. I mean, we want to keep on going. We're, we're and all, it won't, not with this all, community. We're all part of this right? together, and we're all, we don't forget our own, and that, and that was part of it. So that was one of the other – that was kind of the final thing that Chris put into that article, and I thought it was a very poignant good. addition, uh, six things that the Bills got right in the offseason and being more than just a football team in the aftermath of the Jefferson Avenue shootings was a big part of it. And I'm, I'm really happy he added that to his – to his list. Steve Tasker, Josh Reed, we're going to be here with you till three. We're going to be back in a minute or two. This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health and Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. We wanted to give you a reminder that coming up, uh, coming soon, uh, Thursday, July 14th uh, at 7.16 p.m., if you get the 716 reference, um, your city, your cause, your teams uh, is going to open up 716. Get ready for 716 day uh, coming up on July 16th. And you're going to start by 7.16 p.m., Sean and Jamie McDermott, along with the Bills and Sabres Foundations, are going to match donations uh, to your charities. and then uh, at 8 p.m. on Thursday that of uh, the same night, 8 p.m., they're going to give away 100 Josh Allen autographed jerseys for the first 100 people who donate $716 or more to one of the 525 don- uh, charities around western New York. Then on Friday, July 15th, it starts out 7 a.m. Delaware North is matching 25000 8 a.m. Key Bank. Dave and Adam's World Card World is at m- matching. All these are $25,000 matching grants. Wegman's $25,000 at noon. 1 p.m. Highmark. 4 p.m. M&T Bank, East Buffalo. They're matching $10,000. Uh, and, of course, at 5 p.m., Rick Jenneret, the first 500 donors of $117.16 or more, will receive an autographed Rick Jenneret banner. And this is a... This is from the a banner company, the banner company. It's going to be a very nice memento. Uh, also, at 6 p.m., the Bills and Sabres Foundations will match 12500 These are all on, on July uh, 15th. And then, of course, uh, on 716 Day as well. So there's a lot going on coming up. Uh, give 716. The Bills Sabres are all about it. Um, over 500 charities are going to be receiving or available to be a part of that for your so pick the one that you like um, and it all goes in so you can if you want those jerseys and all the stuff that the prizes and the matching you can give during the time that your company is matching or you can do it at 8 p.m on the 14th for a josh allen jersey or a 
you can be part of Sean and Jamie McDermott's gift matching, all of that stuff. So, ton going on. It's our city. Uh, we're really proud of it for good reason, and uh, all. And it's a they raise a ton of money for a ton of charities. It's a big day here in Buffalo, so be a part of it. Yeah, not shocking. I mean, I feel like it just never ends with the community just giving back. Yeah, more it's... and more charity. I mean, every I've I've had the opportunity to work you know around the country in, in this industry and stuff and. And there's never I've never lived in a place that does what this community does. It's it's above and yeah. beyond. I feel like every weekend it's another big charity event that's going on for another great cause. And it's just and the fact that they have, you know, Sean and his wife are connected to it. And, right. and you know, Josh Allen helps out with so many different things. Rick Generate. Rick Generate. Just just it's awesome. Yeah. It is. And and I it's Part of who it is, and, and I think this too. One of one of the things, you know, Buffalo. We've all heard it for decades, and and they still do. People like hammer Buffalo because of the winters we get and the weather and whatever. Um, part of the benefit of that is that when the good weather hits, as it does, I mean, you go July, August, September, October. You don't want to live anywhere else on the planet. It's the best than Western New York. It's the best. It is unbelievable here. So because of that, I think this region and all the people in it it really blooms i mean our spirits bloom people the are people out. people their whole attitude change. and i think because of the long winters and the t- well the winters are okay the spring is really tough because it rains and it's what spring yeah you can't get outside <laughs> right? spring that's what really crushes people right so all of that stuff when it does hit when the good weather does and it always hits man oh man the the People's attitudes and their spirit and their the whole region just you can see it open up like a flower and and stuff like this seven one six day and um, the stuff that happened with the with the Jefferson Avenue and, and it just gives everybody just looks for reasons to get together and do good. Um, it's really a special place and it's one of the reasons you know we've made our home here uh, and stayed here for thirty five plus years and. It's just one of the great things. So 716 Day coming up. Be a part of it. It starts actually on 714 uh, with the bills. Uh, you can look it up, and uh, there's prizes and incentives and all kinds of companies. Uh, awesome. Uh, local companies jumping on board with it, and, and we hope you'll be a part of it uh, as as we will be. Josh Reed, Steve Tasker coming back. Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports going to come on with us here in studio. We're going to have him on uh, for the next segment. So come back and join us. One Bills Live from One Bills Drive. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. Tasker, who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. Steve. A blimp. (laughs) We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker along with Josh Reed. We're pleased to be joined by CBS Sports NFL and college football analyst Chris Trapasso. Wow. Trapasso. Friend of the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Sorry about screwing your name up. I'm, I'm trying to Look at six different. Th- I got three screens in front of me. Um, thanks for coming on the show. We got a lot to talk about, even though it's July. Yeah, it's you know I'm not wishing away the summer, but I think driving here and coming back to the stadium, I, I'm like ready for football season. I'm like, are the Bills playing on Sunday? Like I, I'm ready at this point. Fourth of July week is done for football to be here back in Buffalo. 
Yeah, we've we've been having a lot of fun with this. We we've, we've been talking about we getting we're going to get over the tweet sheet after a while, but at the bottom of the hour maybe we asked, you know, what's the most underrated player on the Bills roster because you you start from the top and you go Josh and Von Miller and the new guy, you know, James Cook and blah blah blah, blah. you go all the way down the list. Um, I don't know that there's anybody who's been overlooked because some of these guys that people are mentioning are starters who have been depended on. Do you have anybody? I mean, who gets forgotten in all of this? For me, I can't even remember that we signed Von Miller. Yeah, I think underrated is still Matt Milano. That that recently there was a I think ESPN ran um, a poll of executives who are the top ten linebackers in the league, and Tremaine Edmonds was on that list. I think Matt Milano deserves to be on that list. What he does in coverage in today's NFL at the linebacker spot is absolutely paramount to the Bills' defense being really good over the last four or five seasons, to to be that smaller type linebacker that can cover running backs out of the backfield, makes a lot of splash plays in the backfield because he's so instinctive, so athletic. You don't think that someone else opposite Tremaine Edmonds gets as much hype as he should. That's Matt Milano. And when they ask him, to go after the quarterback, he, he gets it. there. He's a good blitzer. He gets there. Yep. I mean, he, they don't ask him to do it a ton, but when they do, he's effective. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that so many uh, executives, they put, they put uh, Tremaine Edmonds up there in the top ten linebacker, and Bills fans are kind of unappreciative of Tremaine Edmonds yep. because, well, I mean, you know, like, but he's this huge physical specimen, and all these teams, are, they have real problems with him. And plus his leadership and the guys, he knows everything there is to know about the defense and he gets all these guys lined up because he's kind of the the polar opposite of what Matt Milano is. You know what I mean? High draft pick, hugely physically gifted, guy that's running all in charge. Matt Milano, like a fifth-round guy, a little undersized. One guy like Milano is completely instinctive. And sometimes you see Tremaine Edmonds, it feels like he's kind of thinking through things while he's on the field. While Matt Milano, (laughs) it seemed like... He, does, he couldn't tell you what number he's wearing. See ball, hit ball. Yeah. Right? So it's all simple for Milano, and Tremaine Edmonds is neck deep and complicated. And for both of that, I think fans love and, and, and kind of disrespect both in different ways. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think they just play off each other perfectly. Yeah. That, that to be that six foot five, 250 pound middle linebacker running down the seam, I, over the last five years, I, I can't count on probably two hands how many. Passes have been completed on the Bills' defense over the middle in that intermediate range. It doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but I think quarterbacks look down between the hash marks and see that Tremaine Edmonds specimen in the middle. They just don't make those uh, passes very often because they can't. And then anything to the outside with Matt Milano, uh, ranging sideline to sideline, covering swing passes, running backs out of the backfield, even slot receivers at times. They just play off each other and probably complement each other better than any other linebacker duo in the NFL. And we've seen when Matt Milano's missed some games, that defense doesn't look the same. No. When Matt Milano's not on the field, that defense just – there's some things they can't do. Um, In 2020, Milano went out. With, it was out for like five or six games, and they brought in A.J. Klein, and they wanted to try and get A.J. Klein to play like Matt Milano, and they, they, he couldn't do it. He was out for like six or eight weeks. He was long, for a while. So what happened was they finally said, listen, we can't, we can't, it's not working. There's nobody that can play like Matt Milano. So they started asking A.J. Klein to do what he did mm-hmm. well instead of filling in for Milano. And he looked different after that. And A.J. Looked, played well after A.J. That. was better after yeah. that. They, he couldn't do what Milano did, but they gave him stuff to do that he could do well, and they had to adjust the entire defense because of it. Uh, but they played better after that. We've been having this conversation, Chris, about um, running backs and about 
the role that James Cook might or might not have. We've had some people chime in and say Devin Singletary's been overlooked and Zach Moss is going to be overlooked. The, the running backs in general have been an afterthought in an offense led by Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, and all that. And that's easy to say. So as a result of that, James Cook has been like the top of the conversation uh, for a long time. And you, you guys kind of did that on CBS Sports. You talked about the best rookie running back. Yeah, I, I have James Cook in the top five of rookie running backs in terms of just their production in year one. And from what you just mentioned, it's a Josh Allen offense. Uh, the Bills are a pass-heavy team. They're a pass-first team. But with James Cook, he brings what I think Brandon Bean has been looking for in the backfield in receiving ability and speed. To run four four two. Be very effortless with the ball in his hands and be utilized on film differently than any other running back that I've ever scouted. They weren't just throwing him swing passes and screens. They were using him in the slot and on the outside, running go routes, post routes at Georgia to be that effortless type like his brother Delvin to, again, complement Devin Singletary, who's more of a slashing type, elusive, better in the screen game. I think just to be in this offense, James Cook is in a luxurious situation, and new offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey will script some plays for James Cook because he's such a unique specimen out of the backfield. Yeah, I saw your list. Brees Hall, I think you had number one. Yep. What's some of the guys that really jump out You know, along with Cook and Brees Hall? Brees Hall was at number one. I think he was the most complete running back of this rookie class um, and the Jets traded up for him in round two it just kind of seems like they're going to use him as that workhorse type it's obviously not what James Cook role is going to be Isaiah Spiller was another running back who's now with the Chargers who I loved in this pre-draft process he has Austin Eckler in front of him but I think he's capable of being that workhorse type um, Rashad White was at number two on Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, who we know certainly loves to throw the football to running backs, that's really where Rashad White excelled um, when he was in college. So I, James Cook, you wouldn't necessarily pencil him in as a top option in this super deep Bills offense with Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox in, in his contract year. But again, being a four four two guy that has legitimate experience, averaging almost 11 yards per catch in college, it's an absurd number for a running back. The Bills will utilize him in his rookie season. Yeah, and it, and it also goes to – because you want to do the unexpected when you're off. For sure. People know Steph Diggs is going to get targets. Gabe Davis is going to get targets. Dawson Knox is going to get targets. Nobody knows about these young guys coming. There's no they film know, on them yet. Yeah, yeah. What's, what, what, yeah. How are the Jets going to use Brees Hall? We don't know. They're going to hand it to him, throw it to him. What's he good at? Because once they get into this level, job one in training camp and all these OTAs is for the coaching staff to say, okay, what can this kid really do at this level? I, mean, I saw him in college playing against, and I always say this, it, He's playing against dental students in college. Let's see what he can do playing against you know Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. Yeah. Now what's going to happen? And they don't know until they line up, and then it's the great unknown takes place, and they start give the guy chances and to do things that nobody knew he could do. Yeah, and I think that's really where James Cook can be a weapon. Maybe early on, and maybe it's not until November or December. Like the Bills aren't necessarily just playing for the regular season at this point. I mean, playoff seating certainly matters to get home games at this stadium would certainly be key for the Bills. But even if a plan for James Cook doesn't materialize until November or December or even January, I think that's huge for this Bills offense. And like you're mentioning, Steve, just for, for 
opponents to not be able to game plan for what's going to come out of the backfield when they already have to game plan for Steph Diggs, Dawson Knox, and Gabriel Davis on the outside. Now, the argument for Cook is that in the SEC, there's not a lot of dentists. Right. Yeah. It's a lot more NFL players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so at yeah. least you're he, not playing. You're not playing Colgate. There's not a lot right. of dentists in, <laughs> right. in that conference. That's right. What's What's another rookie? You know the the the, the Bills. You know, I think Kyrie Williams probably sure. one that jumps out to you. What did you see with him, kind of through the draft process, and and what do you, how does he fit into the puzzle? That's a great question. I think he fits perfectly with what the Bills needed in watching that divisional round game against the Chiefs. Obviously, no Trey White. He was down with the uh, torn ACL. In that game, it kind of felt like the Bills secondary needed more speed. And Kyer Elam ran 4-3-9 at the Combine. He was a big recruit, played at Florida, played against a lot of future NFL players. He fits in that he has speed, and I think he gives the Bills more coverage versatility. That Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier have been mostly a zone-based Defense, and it's been super successful. They've been in the top 10 of interceptions in all five seasons with Sean McDermott. Kyer Elam was mostly a man corner at Florida, so they can do a lot of creative things. Zone on one side, man on the other side. If a team has two-star wide receivers, and most teams do now, you can have Trey White match up with different types of wide receivers, and you know that Kyer Elam has the athleticism and the experience to be a really good on an island press man corner that can run down the field with some of the faster receivers in the NFL. You're listening to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker and Josh Reed in the studio with CBS Sports NFL and college football analyst Chris Trapasso. And I got to ask you this. This is go down. Let's give, give a synopsis about the entire sure. draft. You got two, the Bills drafted two corners, two linebackers, a tackle, a punter, and a wide receiver. They made all their picks. Um, give us a little synopsis of how much these guys are going to really help you think or give us you know the highlights and the lowlights well certainly Kyer Elam James Cook who we've talked about already their first two round picks I think they're going to be contributors major contributors in year one the one player that I'll highlight Khalil Shakir is going to enter training camp buried on the depth chart but Jamison Crowder 29 years old he's been one of the more reliable slot receivers in the NFL but he's missed 15 games over the last four seasons now, I do think that the Bills' strength and conditioning program is one of the best in the NFL. They've not really been you know, hamstrung by a lot of injuries during the Sean McDermott era, but if Jamison Crowder goes down and they want to utilize Isaiah McKenzie in that gadget role, like they've kind of reserved that for him, Khalil Shakir could be sitting there in October or November as the starting slot receiver in a Josh Allen-based offense. I think that's, again, a very luxurious position to be in. Four years at Boise State, very productive, almost being like a Cole Beasley, finding the soft spots in zone and then creating after the catch. I think he actually excels even more so than Beasley did creating after the catch, yards after the catch, which was really one area of the Bills' offense that's been lacking over the past couple seasons. Overall, I think they did a good job adding you know special teams, talent with Balen Spector in round seven. And one other player that I'll mention that probably hasn't been talked about that much, Christian Benford. I watched him late in the process because there was some buzz that out of Villanova he could get drafted. 14 interceptions, 45 pass breakups in his four seasons. He got drafted as a corner. I think he's going to ultimately play safety. And I like for him as a rookie to learn from Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. As they're getting up there in age, they know the system like the back of their hand. Christian Benford, with that production in college, I think he could eventually be the heir apparent to those two safeties here in Buffalo. Hey, this – Roster is so stacked with talent. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about 
Khalil Shakir, you know, being buried on the depth chart. There are not a lot of position battles going no. into training camp. We're probably going to talk a lot about punter, believe it or not, <laughs> right? Matt Areza, you know, the right. punt god, right? What should expectations be of him? And is the holding thing, there's a, there's a big, you know, divide on people whether or not they think the holding thing is a thing or if holding is kind of maybe not even secondary to just being able to have a huge leg. Well, I think certainly having that monster leg is something that put him on the draft radar in a big way, and I was kind of surprised he was still available in round six. Steve could probably talk more about the holding scenario. I know, though, during the pre-draft process, he was working with a specialist working on his holds because he never really did that, and I do think that a, a, a kicker and his holder, they have a really strong relationship. I think Tyler Bass, a lot of his success early in his career, certainly on his own leg and his accuracy, but the uh, level of the hold, like the quality of the holds is very important. So I think for everyone else in this Bills draft class, they're kind of starting as a secondary player. Matt Ariza could really be the guy that's on the field the most to begin his NFL career. And if he can be pinning teams back inside the 10 and the 20-yard line. The Bills are going to be in a lot of advantageous situations on defense this season. He's got a couple of things working against him. Um, not really working against him. That's not true. He may, he may punt less than anybody in the league. True. Um, that's a good thing. The second thing is this. When a guy gets on the radar for the NFL, usually because they hit these bombs, but every bomb that you don't see, there's, there's one that's wobbling off on the sidelines, right? There's a bad kick. The, and the thing for the punter, particularly a young punter, is to make sure the floor of his range of punts is high. It's a good call. A bad punt, you can live with one, but when you have one every week, no. And the bad punts can't be out-of-bounds 15-yard punts. They've got to be a 35-yard punt net. You know, uh, that's a bad one. The floor of your bad punts has to be really high. They don't have to be all 65-yard bombs or 70-yard bombs, but you can't have a 25-yard wobbler. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what you got to get rid of. And for the holding thing, for the field goal, now Tyler Bass will agree with me because he's the guy that has to kick it. But I'm like, listen, if I, I did it. it. It's not hard. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of pressure on it, sure. but there's not hard. it's not hard. Particularly if a guy like Matt Ariza says, all I got to do is learn how to hold for that for Tyler Bass. He's the only guy I need to learn how to hold. How does he like it? Learn how to do that and rep it a thousand times uh, in the first week and a thousand more in the second week and a thousand more in the third week. Just, it's reps and it's where you get comfortable with it. And if you can handle the pressure of being the guy to catch the snap and put it on the ground, your goal. It's not difficult to do. But it's easy to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders when everything depends on it. So you, the snapper wants you to make him look good, and the kicker certainly wants you to make him look good, and all 80,000 people in the stands don't want to see you sitting back there trying to find a handle on that thing. right? So it's easy to learn to do. It's not a difficult job, but it does have a lot of, a lot of stress. You know what I'm saying? So it's the stress that's the hard part. Not the, not the physical thing of grabbing a snap and putting it down. Do you think during training camp and in the preseason, Matt Ariza and Tyler Bass can get enough of a connection where week one against the Rams, if there's a key kick, that they would both feel comfortable? Like, How long do you think that well, takes? Well, if they're normally? not comfortable, they won't be out there. Yeah. They'll both work hard at it. And if they haven't been working hard at it already, that you know, they're, 
they're not pros. I mean, yeah. Tyler Bass has been working on it, but he can't do it without a rise and yeah. a snapper. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's all three guys. Uh, so, yeah, it takes a lot of reps. And it's, yeah, but they can do that. Yeah. You can do it. And there's no reason to think that three guys who go out there and work hard, particularly you got two guys that are proven, like um, Reed Ferguson and Tyler Bass. Matt Ariza can go in there. You can, ca- you can catch a snap and get it down. There's not, it's not that hard. It's the mental aspect of knowing there's so much rides on you doing that. Um, and you don't get rewarded for it because people have been doing it for so long. It's like, come on, just, you know, yeah. how hard. And it's not hard, <laughs> but it's important. We are going to be talking about the holds on extra points in the preseason. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. That, you know what, though? That's a good thing because you were not talking about quarterback battles. We're not talking yeah. about, right? Right. We're not talking about is the head coach on the hot seat. None of that's a thing. Right. It's, yeah. it's hey, can the punter hold right. on extra points? We're talking to Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports NFL and college football analyst. One of the things you guys pump, pumped out was some guys in, entering make-or-break seasons, and one of the, you know, the guys on it is a guy we've been talking about, and Tremaine Edmonds. You're, and this is an important year for him. I don't think there's any question. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going into that final year of his rookie deal, it's huge. And, and, and if he plays out of his mind, he could be the highest paid off ball linebacker at the end of the season. If he regresses, he might not be on the Bills next season. For me, I, I don't actually view it, though, as that much of a, a make or break because I think even though he's still young, he's like 24 years old and he's played for uh, four seasons already, I think we know what we're going to get with Tremaine Edmonds. And I mentioned it earlier that he's, you know, he's going to be around the football a lot. At times, he's not going to play as fast in terms of processing as Matt Milano. He's going to clog the middle of the defense in coverage, make a few splash plays, maybe miss a few more tackles than the Bills would like. So I... I kind of think that the Bills know what they have with him. They love how he compliments Matt Milano. And, again, with Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, it's the same deal. No one probably knows this defense better than Tremaine Edmonds. So it technically, from a financial perspective, is a make-or-break season. I don't think we're going to be talking about him as a defensive player of the year candidate, and I don't think in November people are going to want Tremaine Edmonds off the team. He's a valuable asset to – for as much as the the offense has gone on a, a huge skyrocket during the Josh Allen era, the defense has been very consistent since Sean McDermott's been yeah. here. It's been rock solid, and Tremaine Edmonds is at the focal point of the second, you know, uh, back seven of that defense. I think one of the things that you just brought up that's key is splash plays. Leslie Frazier actually brought that up he when did. asked about Tremaine Edmonds. He said, I, I need to see more of those splash plays from him. Real, real quickly, what do you think about Ed Oliver? He's a guy that's getting close to contract time, and defensive tackle is a valuable spot. I think if there's a player that I would predict on the Bills' defense to take that next step into superstardom, it's Ed Oliver. I think to sign Daquan Jones and Tim Settle, two big, wide-body nose tackles that can get up the field a little bit but are going to eat a lot of blockers that will truly let Ed Oliver play in that up-the-field role, uh, I think that's just personnel-wise and, and, and teammate-wise will allow him to uh, generate a lot of pressures, get more sacks than he's ever gotten before. And I like that Ed Oliver, who came into the league pretty young and played nose tackle at Houston, he was out of position, we've seen him incrementally get better during his career in Buffalo. I think he's worked a little bit harder. Sean McDermott kind of mentioned early in his career maybe he's not working on his craft enough. And we saw by year two and then last season him take that next step in this defense that's so rotational up front. To have those guys next to him, he's going to take off. And we've been talking about Tremaine Edmonds and Ed Oliver. 
Let me ask you this. Now, when you get to the end of the year, and they both have good years, or maybe Tremaine Edmonds has an, an okay – well, he's been a Pro Bowl. I mean, yep. people – teams hate playing against the guy. Uh, Ed Oliver, same thing. So he has a little st- uptick. Here's the question. You start talking about finances. What kind of contracts are they going to pay these guys? How much um, are they, those contracts going to hamstring the team going forward? Now, the big question is this. How easy is it to replace Ed Oliver or Tremaine Edmonds? How easy is it to find a guy that maybe doesn't give you 100% but gives you 90% of the production for 10% of the money? Those kind of questions have to be answered. How tough is it to play in the middle of this defense? How much will you have to change if it's not Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of your defense or Ed Oliver you know, on the offside, on the weak side of the, of the offensive formation? I mean, how, and, and, it, and that goes for every team, not every player on every team. What's the cost of their replacement? How much replacement production can you get for way, way less money? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think if we're stacking Tremaine Edmonds versus Ed Oliver, like I said, I, I'm more uh, optimistic about Ed Oliver, but I think in this Bills defense, and I mentioned it earlier, with how rotational they are up front, they're going 9, 10 deep. Sean McDermott did it in Carolina. He's done it in his first five seasons in Buffalo. I think the Bills would be a little bit more apt to say, hey, you know what? If they're equal and they're going to be paid around the same, let's actually let Ed Oliver go because that middle linebacker has so many responsibilities stopping the run, whether it be inside the tackles, outside, and in coverage. I think that's more of a valuable asset in Sean McDermott's defense than a defensive tackle that's maybe only playing 40 to 60% of the snaps. You can get that, I think, in the draft, more so than a six foot five, 250-pound, really fast linebacker. All right, one last question before we let you go. We had this question on what's the most overlooked player on the Bills roster. We kind of answered that with all the guys. Now, when you were a kid and you're playing in the yard, who did you pretend to be when you were playing football, baseball, basketball? Who was the guy that you wanted to be like? Well, I'm, If you say Steve Tasker, I'll chop your head <laughs> I was going to say special teams, it was Steve yeah. Tasker. No, it was... <laughs> For me, it was definitely Andre Reid. Yeah, like, Andre, like, to me, just running routes. Like, we would play so much backyard football. If I wasn't the all-time quarterback being Jim Kelly, it was Andre Reid because he was just so good over the middle, all areas of the field, That's Hall of Famer. Yeah. Good stuff. CBS Sports, NFL, and college football analyst Chris Trapasso joins the show. Thanks for coming in, man. Really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Steve Tasker, Josh Reed. We'll be right back. This is Buffalo Bills Radio, and this is One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Josh Reed. Thanks to Chris Trapasso for coming in and joining us in the last segment, uh, talking about the Bills roster, training camp, the upcoming season. You know, guys he's looking for, guys are in big years. It's, it's, it's always interesting to get an outside perspective because we're, you know, I mean, we're neck deep. We're, we're up to our eyeballs in Bills stuff every day. And most Bills in, you know, are the same way. Most Bills fans are the same way. They, they don't really, you know, they'll catch other stuff, big stories from other teams. But, man, oh, man. They know this roster, and it's fun to get an outside set of eyes on it. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to hear kind of how some of those guys stack up with other rookies that other teams took. You know, that's always interesting because, I mean, these guys, like you said, we are 24-7 Bills, whereas they, they're able to spread some of their attention out there around the league and everything. Right. And, you know, it's interesting to hear them talk about Brees Hall, a guy that the Bills will see right. twice this twice year. Twice a year, yeah. Yep. 
Let's go on. We're going to take – we asked you today who's the most overlooked player on the Bills roster and if you ever had a player that you pretended to be growing up. Um, then we'll go to the tweet sheet right now. Let's, uh, brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And the first one's from Jeremy. He says, right now he thinks Jamison Crowder, who's a beast for the Jets, but it's overlooked when he, because he was on a poor team. I think he's going to bring a ton to the table. Possibility he's right. Uh, Chris Trapasso just said, you know, this is a guy in Jamison Crowder missed 15 games over the last four seasons. That's like four, four a season. Cole Beasley missed about that many last year. Or every so often. It seems like he missed some games. I don't know. He, he's, he did play hurt, though. He played hurt. Tough as nails. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Well, this will by far be the best quarterback he's played with. Best team. Best team Alex all Alex Smith was the best quarterback he's right. played with. And, I mean, let's face it, Josh Allen, right. he can't caddy for Josh Jamison Allen. Jamison Crowder is going to be in a different spot in a different situation than he's ever been in as a pro. Um, it'll be interesting to see what that means to his career and his production. Uh, certainly he's going to feel a difference walking, in, walking off the field winning more than losing, um, as he did with the Jets. Um, and it's easy to overlook him, too. I mean – the Bills have just hit home run after home run in the offseason. We went over it early in the, the superlatives of this offseason. You know, Von Miller and James Cook and Kair Elam and all the other, you know, Saffold and Kessenberry. And and you sit there and look at Crowder. Crowder's one of the guys that's like, gosh darn it, he's still on the Jets and we got to play him, you know? I can't believe he's 29. I feel like he's been in the NFL for 15 seasons. Right. He should be like 38, <laughs> right. right? So, um, he played well against the Bills, a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons the Bills, the Bills went after him a second time. He was a free agent a couple of years ago, and he stayed with the Jets. Uh, now he came to the Bills, and the Bills hung in there and stayed with it and got him after all. So, uh, yeah, you might have – uh, Jeremy might have a, a point when Jamison Crowder is the most overlooked. Uh, from MT on the tweet sheet, he says, O.J. Howard will be a nightmare in two tight end formations. Yeah, O.J. Howard has been, when he came out, and I don't know if you remember this a few years ago, that guy was an unbelievable talent. He was unbelievable. He was um, like the kid that Atlanta. Pitts. Pitts. A lot alike. Yeah, he was a lot like him except bigger. Yeah. Uh, O.J. Howard, I mean, you'll see, if everybody, and I've said it before, come out to training camp and get a load of what O.J. Howard looks like walking around. It's impressive. The guy is a giant I mean, he's huge. I mean, he makes Dawson Knox look like his little brother. And Dawson Knox is big. I mean, he's just a big, fast guy with a lot of athletic ability. He has had struggled staying healthy. And I think that's a large reason why he got kind of pushed to the side when Gronkowski came in in Tampa and Cameron Bay. Cameron Brait they had. And Cameron Brait, and they couldn't, you know, he couldn't break into that, and he couldn't stay healthy enough to be consistent. So he had some stuff going against him. But if he comes to the table with all of his potential – yeah, he's he's a big plus. That once again, you know, Brandon Bean did a great job of just surrounding Josh with guys who can make plays. And look, OJ Howard may be in a situation where he may go three weeks and have three catches for thirty yards, and then he may have a game where the mismatch is there, and he may have eight catches for a buck ten and two touchdowns. I mean, it might be that kind of year right. where Steph Diggs, we know pretty much week in and week out, he's going to go for the big numbers 
And then it's just kind of where's the mismatch. And I'll say this too, depending on how teams adjust and what they do, you got Dawson Knox out there with OJ Howard. They're extremely tall targets in the red zone. Um, and like you always say, you think now I'm not talking about even you know fade routes or anything, but I'm talking about throwing it high over the middle and or getting a, a mismatch on a short guy. And he's, it's too hard to defend. Yeah, if he's lined up in the slot, these the slot cornerbacks, he's going to tower over them. Right. Another one from the tweet sheet from Nick. He thinks Devin Singletary is the most overlooked player. I don't know if I buy that. And for whatever, he gives no he gives no justification for it. He just thinks Devin Singletary. For Mike, he says Jordan Phillips, and I think having him back this year is just as big as the Von Miller signing. No, I, I kind of I'm not going to go that far. But I get where your I get where your point is being made. Jordan Phillips, when he was here two years ago, when he or three years ago, when he was highly motivated, as he probably will be this year, he was a force, a real force. Miami kicked him to the curb. He was unhappy. He came to Buffalo on a one year deal to prove it, and man oh man, did he ever! He had um, a huge season. Yes, I mean he was chasing quarterbacks all season and long. He is he is big. He's like three thirty plus. And he moves. He's got like a waist, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's he's yeah he he's to your point. He's very athletic. He's probably underrated how athletic he is. Hard to single team him up inside, so you got to have a center and a guard on him. Which means Ed Oliver's by himself, or on the other side, DeQuan Jones is by himself. And if you put both those guys in there in a passing down, you got a lot of weight to try and stop, um, and it's slippery. So it's pretty tough. It's a, it's a really good signing. I think Jordan Phillips is a is a huge plus for this team. He's a off the field. He's pretty quiet, pretty regular going guy. When he's on the field, he's high energy, and you love and coaches love that stuff. I, in him. I think he's a piece to the Bills' defensive line. Von Miller is the piece, right? You know what he's I mean? The I, that's, piece, the, yeah. that's the centerpiece, exactly. Right. Uh, from Jim, he says Isaiah McKenzie. Every chance he catches the every chance he catches the ball, big third down catches. Runs, returns. He's been the best slot guy for a season and a half, and we always look to replace him. Now it's Crowder. Free Isaiah. He'll make you proud. I, Jim, is there's it, a lot is in it, there. Is this Isaiah's agent? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I, look, was there a bigger, did that just happen game than when Isaiah went into New England and just went off? No, I mean, d- when you look at individual performances, like that was one of those ones that just came out of nowhere, and you looked at the stat sheet at the end of the game, and, and the clutch timing of those catches, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I didn't know he the had Patriots, it in him. The Patriots didn't believe the Bills would keep going to him, and they just kept the same guy on him. And the same thing. They just didn't believe Josh would keep throwing in the ball. Twelve targets for Isaiah McKenzie, who hasn't even been on the field for the last month and a half. Yeah, no, they didn't believe it. And now, you know, twelve targets and eleven catches late. Eleven catches on twelve targets. He killed them. And and I, we've talked about this before. At the end of twenty twenty, when the Bills had it all wrapped up, they put him in against Miami. He did the same thing to Miami. He was. He was the offense in the first half of Miami, and then Matt Barkley came in in the second half of that game and still lit him up. Matt Barkley beat the Miami Dolphins with Isaiah McKenzie. So he has been nothing but productive when he's gotten the chance. But like a lot of – for some reason, and I don't know whether it's an on the field or off the field, everybody likes him. They all all like him. But that guy 
is not their go-to. He is not their go-to. And I think, I don't know whether it's Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean or maybe it's Josh Allen or somebody else, I don't know, but that guy does not get the opportunities you would think he would get with the production he puts out when he does get an opportunity. And maybe maybe we'll see it this year. Maybe this is it. New offensive coordinator, maybe Ken Dorsey says, you know what? Let's run it back. Let's let's see I what this guy – let's get hit the ball in his hands nine times a game and see what he can do. Whether right. it's a bunch of jet sweeps, that kind of action, you know, maybe you're dumping it to him, uh, you know, in the slot. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. When he touches it, he's pretty electric. He's fast, catches the ball well. Um, he can go in the return game. Yes, he's very versatile. And he gives you something on special teams that makes his his roster spot productive, even if he's not the number one guy on the offense. Uh, and you know that kid Bryant from New England tried to stay with him all day, and he wore him out. He absolutely wore the guy out. And he's a story. He's an interesting story of a of a player who. Remember, he was inactive yeah. in that New Orleans game. And he could have he gone. He could happy. have gone sideways. It could have gone really sideways, and somehow he sidestepped, getting too deep in the doghouse. Right. And he was. And then he was active, and he he put up some. He put up some good. That ha- I'll say this: when guys get benched, and they go into and they go south and they tank and they you can't they don't hear from them the rest of the season. They just like forget it. I'm out. That's on the coach. Now you may have. He may have sat him down for good reason, and everybody knows whatever the guy did, plus or minus, you're going to get benched for that for a minute. But if the head coach doesn't handle it the right way, like sit down, look the, look the guy in the eye and say, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen and here's why. Now, I know you're not happy about it. I know – whatever. A head coach can diffuse all that and give the guy a ray of hope, give the guy a reason to come back strong. And that's what Sean McDermott is so good at. Certainly, he's – He's benched a ton of guys who most of us out here are like, what do you do that for? Why isn't Boogie Basham start? Why isn't A.J. Epinesa as a first-round pick on the field his rookie's you know, opening day? You know, he's done that to a ton of guys. And the reason he's such a good head coach is because none of those guys go in the tank after he does it. Yeah, he because, found the button. Right. He pushed it. He communicates the truth to them, and guys respond to that. Guys respond to that, and I think that, that's as much Sean McDermott keeping Isaiah McKenzie motivated and, and engaged and saying, all right, I'm going to show you, rather than going in the tank and says, you're never going to get me, I'm, I'm going to go on and go do something else. And, and they never turn into Antonio Brown. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's on Sean McDermott. This is a good one. Jim, I, when I first read the name Isaiah McKenzie, I wanted to go, eh. That actually, after talking it out, I, I can see McKenzie right. being one of these overlooked guys. There's another one here from Josh. He says, you already know it's Deion Doc and selected the Pro Bowl last season. Quietly goes about his business. Guys in the trenches, especially on the O-line, always seem to get overlooked. No one should overlook the wonderful impact he's had on the Buffalo community as well. Go Bills. Yeah, there's a ton of guys. And last one, uh, this says from nah, – no, I'm not going to read that one. Forget it. That's about somebody else. So – Deion Dawkins, yeah, any you can name any offensive lineman and they're going to get overlooked because it, it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, to me, it's a little different topic if you're talking about if one of these guys goes down with an injury mm. because that would be a huge impact. You lose yeah. Deion, look, not that you want to lose Isaiah or any of these guys, but you can, you can make it work 
with some of the guys we mentioned. Yeah, that's a foundational piece. But that left tackle, you, you're, you're protecting 17's blind side. <laughs> that's, right. that's a whole other level of being that's important. Right. That's right. Steve Tasker, Josh Reed, we're going to take a break. We'll be back to wrap things up right after this. This is Buffalo Bills Radio, and this is One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Josh Reed here to finish things up for today. Um, you know, Chris Trapasso, great guest on the show, did a lot of, had a lot to say, and all of your – tweets and feedback from our uh, question about who the most overlooked player was. There's a lot, there's so much going on with the Bills this offseason. You kind of forget about the guys who have contributed so much. And we were both talking about Taron Johnson being a guy that just nobody even gives a second thought to. What, what happens if that guy goes down? Oh, that defense looks way different. And it's what he does and his role in that defense playing in the slot is so crucial. I mean, we just sat here and talked about James Cook and the Bills, maybe some thoughts of him playing in the slot and how big of a role that could be. Well, guess what? If you're the Bills and you're facing that, that's where a guy like Taron Johnson comes in. I mean, you need that guy who can – I mean, he can match up against wide receivers. He can match up against running backs. And I tell you what, pound for pound – He's the toughest guy on the team. Yeah, he, he tackles. Is, he is not afraid. He will yeah. stick his nose in, and he will bring the thunder. He's a willing tackler. He gets in a physical game, and uh, he makes a big difference out there. And I think his his presence, I mean, you, you talk about the value they've gotten out of him from, from what they invested in him. They gave him an extension. I mean, he earned it. Um, it's just great to see that happen. It's great to see that happen. Thanks for coming in today. You're going to be back with us tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow, Steve. We'll be back tomorrow. Steve Tasker, uh, Josh Reed, back in tomorrow. Chris Brown's going to be on vacation all week. We're going to take uh, – it's going to be a herky-jerky week as, as the week stretches on as well. But we've got a lot, of, a lot of shows. We're going to have another Twitter question for you tomorrow. Give us a call tomorrow if you want. Uh, enjoy the summer. We're getting to it. We're just drumming our – just tapping our feet, waiting for training camp to start. But it's been fun. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. All right, so we're going to be back with you tomorrow. And One Bill's Live, we're going to have we had, uh, Chris Trapasco. You can go back, get back, and, and listen to that on your iPod or your uh, podcast as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everybody.